Welcome to the Legends of Master Show, everyone. I'm your host, Tom Wheeler, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today. He is a Pan Am Samo champion, black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a Class A competitive pistol shooter, and an all-around badass. Welcome to the show, Riley Bodycomb. Hello, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah, my pleasure, man. Yeah, I've been wanting to uh, talk to you for a while. We have a lot of uh, uh, related people that we know. We have uh, Vlad Kulikov, uh, yeah. Javi, Javi Palomo, um, you know, actually in the whole Samba world, it's a pretty world close knit community. Wouldn't you say? Uh, at least in America, it's only like yeah. seven dudes, right? Yeah. yeah, that's about it. Um, I want to pop in right into that actually with Sambo, um, you know, being an American and getting, how'd you even get into that? Uh, I just wanted to do something different. I guess I'm naturally obtuse. So I, was looking for something weird and obscure in the martial arts, and I found it and went deep, basically. Okay, yeah, and you've uh, you know got to do a lot of travel with that as well. Um, you know, it it has been picking up popularity. I, I actually opened up my I have a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu school uh, in Illinois, and uh, we do sambo and judo there. Actually, I'm un underneath with uh, Vlad Kulikov, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, like I got into that especially in 2014 when we opened up. Uh, I just noticed at competition level that like nobody, even on black belt level, there's no takedown skills at all in these jujitsu competitions outside of maybe single and double legs or something like that from, from wrestling. And I really took towards, uh, of course, judo, but Sambo more specifically. Hey, how, how much have you seen Sambo grow since, since you started? Um, I don't know that it's, hmm. I think that people's awareness of it has grown significantly, but there's not a lot of, there's not like a venue for deep competition. It's difficult to access. You'll have uh, athletes in UFC or pride that are super successful, but they're not then going and opening schools. Like Fedor didn't become world famous and then open up a string of American schools, you know, um, Khabib became famous, didn't open a bunch of schools. So it's like, it's not super accessible, even if you know what it is, you know, so I think that's its limitation. Interesting. Yeah, it's so wild. Even the history of Sambo, of how it even came about. I, I thought it was interesting, sort of like the early era of Sambo, uh, just that cross-training uh, between Japan and, and Russia and, and you know, pretty much like it was like after World War II. It, it, like the biggest champions in judo were were uh, not Japanese. They were like a lot of uh, Russians. And then vice versa, biggest guys for Sambo were Japanese. That, that cross-training uh, and you cross-train quite a bit. Like I say, black belt Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, you have a lot more uh, training further into that area. How important do you feel uh, cross-training is? Um, I think of the, I, you know, I, 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 liked, I liked the idea of being a martial artist, um, like when I was very young, but not in like a like single discipline, like Panther style type way. Yeah. You know, yeah. I liked the idea of being like, like steak guys from GI Joe who could just like right. do anything yeah. as long as it worked, you know? And so for me, I was always kind of anti-style from the beginning. Um, and so it was oh. super easy for me to want to, you know, take in as much information as I can. And also I like to try to um, kind of smash through like the dogma of what's being explained to you, trying to figure out uh, what is actually happening. Uh, the games that we play a lot of times dictate our behavior. And then there'll be also um, tradition that dictates our behavior. And so I like to make sure I'm making a distinction between how we should be behaving to win the games 
and how we're behaving because tradition dictates we behave that way, right? Those are not, yeah. they're not both required, right? You only need to yeah. behave in the way that's effective for the game, not just because someone said that's the way to behave, right? Right, right. Yeah, uh, very, very interesting. Uh, and, and I think, because at some point, you know, when you're, you know, instructing and things like that, and you have a lot of, uh, obviously, that side of your uh, career uh, is very rewarding being an instructor, a coach, and, see, you know, helping your, your guys do well. Um, you know, you have that aspect where you pass that down. Like you said, you know, like the, the fedoras and, and Khabibs are amazing, but they're not opening these these schools up necessarily in the States. Uh, you know, how how important do you feel that is to be able to start passing I don't, know, I don't know if I want to use the word lineage, but just passing that knowledge down. I like to teach. I've always liked to teach. Um, I, uh, um, I think I wanted to be a teacher really badly before I was actually any good. So like okay. trying to get good for me was so I could teach. And most of the competitions I've done throughout my life were just to make sure that I wasn't like full of BS when I was explaining something, you know? So oh, okay. like, yeah. So I compete as a way to make sure, like if I tell you this is how I think it works, I want to make sure that, that there's some truth to that and I'm not just repeating somebody else. So I'll compete to go, okay, yeah, I, I went to competition. I did this four or five times at a reasonable level. I'm pretty sure this is how it works. I enjoy the teaching actually a lot more than competing. Amazing. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, and it, make, it makes so much sense. I mean, proof, proof's in the pudding, so to speak. Um, now, I have to say, you know, there is not, at least in the States, not a lot of not just access to Samo training, but um, just knowledge, you know, books, videos. I mean, they're getting a little more, uh, I think I initially even found out about Vlad from like Budo videos or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, BJJ Fanatics is starting to do a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and, but like, I got a hold of this bad boy right here. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, this helped explain a lot. And, you know, for guys that uh, they're wa you know, watching this and listening to this, that may, may be more jujitsu because that is more, uh, predominant popular. They open a lot of schools for those. Uh, and obviously you have wrestling and, and uh, on a smaller side of scale, uh, judo. Can you kind of explain just in a brief uh, synopsis, like uh, the focus and you know basic philosophies of Sambo compared to jujitsu and judo? Um, I like to distinguish them based on the rules of the game. So the rules of the game uh, reward different behaviors. In jujitsu, if we're talking about IBJJF rules, jujitsu, um, there's some big distinctions between jiu-jitsu and sambo in the way the game is scored and the way the game is regulated. So let's talk about regulated first. Um, yeah. Passivity is scored very differently in sambo versus jiu-jitsu. So oh, in jiu-jitsu, okay. if you're on the ground and you're on your back, the person who's still standing is uh, compelled to engage you, right? Uh, and if they're not engaging you, they're passive. That's the only grappling sport that works that way, right? Judo, wrestling, sambo, mixed martial arts. The person who's standing can stand up the person on the ground. And the person on the right. ground is the one who will be accused of passivity. That yes, distinction, yeah. that distinction is massive in the way the game is played, right? And that's not even a point. That's not even a point variance. It's just a regulation variance that will change the way we play these games, right? Yeah. So uh, that's one distinction. The other big distinction is in jiu-jitsu, you're awarded for transitions. So mm -hmm. if I go around your guard, if I go from guard to knee ride, from guard to mount, um, those transitions are awarded. They're not awarded in 
sambo. They're not awarded in judo. They're not awarded in wrestling, right? Right. So um, those transitions are super important in jujitsu, and they're awarded accordingly. In sambo, you're awarded heavily for putting someone on the mat. And uh, putting someone on the mat more on their back will increase the amount of points you get. Putting someone more on the bat while remaining on their back while remaining standing will give you even more points. And so your ability to throw somebody is super important, right? Yeah. Um, in jujitsu, it's not super important. Uh, it's not only is it only two points, it can also be yeah. taken off the board. I'm allowed to sit down and remove your ability to do that, right? Yeah, exactly. Again, because and, that, and that's because of regulation. In Sambo, if you do that, you're stalling. So therefore, um, you are compelled to be able to wrestle with me. Right. right. Um, but then going back to regulation, the regulation between judo and sambo is that in judo, there's a lot of grips and takedowns that are illegal, that are not illegal in sambo. So, right. um, so sambo will have a wider group of takedowns accessible um, that can be used to score, uh, wider than judo because of the rules and wider than wrestling because of the uniform. Right. The uniform is going to add some more some more For diversity, sure. right? So Sambo has probably the, the deepest amount of legal takedowns you can do in a combat sport, That's right? Amazing. Yeah. Um, and so you'll get a lot of really interesting approaches and you'll see which are the ones that are really the main ones when you change the rules and you open things up. Um, that's interesting. And yeah. I'd say the last difference between uh, sambo and jiu-jitsu, which is probably the most important difference, is sambo competitions. When you go to a big sambo competition, they're divided into two sections, sport and combat, right? Right. So yeah. that means that half of the people in the room are doing punches and kicks and knees and headbutts. Yeah. yeah. And even if you're not one of those guys, you're exposed to striking a lot earlier and in, and in totality, right? So like, yeah. let's say you're in a room and you're only doing sport, you go to a competition from your, in your first year to your 10th year, every time you're watching people fighting and it, they're using the exact same scoring system, the exact same regulation system, except they're allowed to strike. And so you can see right off the, right off the bat, what are the things that change when you add punches and kicks and knees and headbutts? Right, Where right. in your average jujitsu gym, since half the population isn't competing and striking, um, right. and you're not observing the striking, that's more vague and unclear unless someone yeah. chooses to go off into mixed martial arts. Um, but I mean, take, take myself, take Vlad Kulikov. We both yeah. competed in sport sambo and combat sambo, right? Yeah. So we, we, are very aware of how the game changes when you add strikes where you could train in jitsu for a very long time and that might never come up in discussion. I would say those are the three main differences. That's interesting. And definitely a delineation between that. And I, I found it interesting, you know, just talking with Vlad, I remember even, like, even when we first met, I had all these questions and, and uh, uh, you know, just like, you know, combat sound, of course you allowed strikes and all that. Um, I found fascinating, you know, I mean, you're wearing a Kirka, the, the, the jacket, and you're not in sports sound, but you're not allowed to choke. Is that correct? Yeah, usually with the, the largest organization for sports sambo is called um, FIOS. That's like, I would say that's the, IBJJF of Sambo, if you will. Okay. Um, me, so saying in Sambo you can't choke is sort of like saying in Jitsu you can't heel hook. Like that isn't is not true, right? So right. In, the, in the largest organization for Jitsu you can't heel hook. But there are plenty of organizations outside of the largest one where you can. Uh, chokes are sort of like that, I guess. Interesting. I, I always thought it was kind of funny. It's like, 
Uh, yeah, sports sambo for, for the main part. Yeah, you're not allowed to choke. But if you go to combat sambo, you can, but there's headbutts and <laughs> it just totally the other way with it. <laughs> yeah, combat sambo is um, the most open rule set. Um, it, it, it's some, it, what's interesting about combat sambo, it's similar to mixed martial arts. It ends up becoming less technically diverse. The more things you add, the less stuff happens, oh, right? Okay. So, like, if you were to watch, I'll use um, I'll use just striking, right? Let's look at let's yeah. look at like Taekwondo or like American full contact kickboxing, right? Mm -hmm. You have a very narrow target zone. Taekwondo is just the head and the body, not the legs, okay. right? And same with full contact kickboxing. You see axe kicks, spinning kicks, like hook kicks, like yeah. side kicks, all this variation. And that's because the less legal targets, the more creative we have to get to actually touch somebody. It's very difficult, right? Yeah. Uh, when you add more things, you go, okay, now you can kick the legs and you can knee and you can punch the head. The things that happen shrink significantly because it's not that hard to sneak something in, right? Yeah. And then when you add takedowns and grappling, the techniques shrink even more, right? Like, uh, same with grappling. So if you look at like a grappling rule set, like, uh, something super narrow, like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and the Gi, you see all kinds of technical variants, a lot of crazy stuff going on to try to get that pass on somebody. It's so hard to do. Try to sweep somebody. It's so hard to do. And then you add in strikes and you add, and you take the Gi off and you make it mixed martial arts. And now it's like, what do you see? Like the most basic pass. Right, the most yeah. it's like pass, mount, back take. It looks like your wipeout lesson, right? Yeah. Yeah. The more you the more you add, you narrow down to the things that work the most, right? Interesting. And, yeah. and that's what you see in combat sambo. Combat sambo, you see like four takedowns, right? And then in sports sambo, you see like massive variance in the takedowns that score because it's so hard to score on dudes. Yeah. You know, I think that's interesting. So fast. Hey, and you know what? If it works for John Wick, you know, it works it works for everybody else. <laughs> <laughs>
So I flew back and he showed me a lot of this footwork stuff. And like my mind blew. I was just like, whoa, like I understand footwork so much more. I want to test it. And I remember I was saying, I'm I'm mainly a teacher, but I like to test stuff. So I was like, I want to test it. And um, I am a pro fighter technically, but I haven't fought since like 2013. So I'm like, I ain't about to go get in a pro fight. So like, what's the thing I'm allowed to test this in? And like combat Sambo was like, not as nutty as as a pro yeah. MMA fight for me yeah. right now, you know what I mean? So I'm like, yeah. I can test it in combat sambo. Um, so uh, that's one thing that they don't really tell you when you go pro in the United States, you can't go backwards, right? So I, if I'm a pro and fight okay. pro MMA, I can't then go do like an amateur kickboxing match. It's against the rules, right? Right. So yeah. it's like really hard. It's really hard to fill out some of those areas. I would love to do like amateur boxing or something like that to like work on some stuff, but you can't do it, right? Yeah. So I I can do combat sambo in another country. So I went to Holland to do combat sambo. Oh, cool. And uh, I had gone up a weight class because I didn't want to cut as much. And so to me, so fork was super important to not get hurt, you know? Yeah. And the second I got on the mat, the sambo shoe, which is a suede sole shoe, yeah. right? On the international wrestling mats which are like ice yeah like made footwork so difficult so difficult um and so the footwork that i had learned though i it helped me a lot i wasn't nearly as dynamic as i was hoping to be you know interesting okay and i would say that's my least favorite thing about combat sambo is the mat and shoes make limit how dynamic you can have how, how dynamic your footwork can be. And it will tend to make combat Sambo fights look a little plotting, like a little kind yeah. of like this. And it's not because these guys don't know that they can move their feet. It's just really hard, yeah. right? To like just skip around and change directions. And I, I slipped like twice in, a, in, in one of those combat Sambo fights before I realized I can't juke and oh, wow. shift. And, you know, I can't pretend to be Ton Lee or Wonder Boy out there. You know, yeah. it's just, you can't exactly. move like that. And if you do slip in, in someone, like it's still like live, right? I mean, they, they just pounce on top of you. I mean, they can hit you. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I always thought it was so brutal with those headbutts because it's so many. You, you, you're so focused if you're just doing sports sambo or judo or jujitsu, you're so focused on grip fighting, you don't realize, boom, like the, the head's like right there, ready to go. I, I love it. I love that you could. It's a lot of times in combat sambo, it's the first person to remember they can headbutt that wins the yeah. fight. <laughs> like, they'll get grips and they'll be wrestling and they can't hit each other because of the grips. And then one person like, Oh yeah, bam. And like yeah. drop the other person. It's really great. I love it. I think it's cool. That's amazing. It's amazing. And, and training for combat sambo, is that uh, comparable to uh, MMA? Like you got the headgear, you got MMA gloves, like training. Uh, it, it scores differently. And so like your strategy can't be the same. Um, gotcha. And so, and also your, your opponents are unknown. Every time I fought in MMA, well, that's not true. The first time I fought in MMA was back when tournaments were still allowed. It was like 2007 or something like that. Yeah. So at that point, I didn't know my opponent, but uh, that first fight. But after that, your, your opponents are known. When I fought pro, your opponents are known. So you're watching tape. You have a specific strategy um, where when you fight in combat, it's, almost, it's a tournament structure, just like it is in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And so... You, you have to have what do you think is the most consistent game plan, not a hyper-tuned game plan to X guy, you right. know? Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Different. That makes sense. And now when you're talking to your students, uh, whether it's jujitsu or sambo, uh, as far as 
you know, and, and obviously I understand there's, there could be a camp if they're an MMA fighter or they're a camp for some competition coming up. But the general, uh, the general throughout the year, or even the general practitioner, uh, you know, what are your philosophies like to teach them as far as like, hey, obviously outside of, hey, come in as often as you can for them to improve uh, their their game. Um, I I think uh, like micro goals, like try to learn games within games and go deep on them. I think you can actually become, uh, if we were to use like, let's use a belt system to kind of, you know, white belt, black belt, right? If we were to use that as a rank, you can be a black belt in a very specific area of grappling pretty quickly, right? And so you could like, so you could be like, okay, I want you to really work on this thing, right? Like have a micro goal, like three months, like when I'm in the gym and I'm rolling, I'm not just trying to win every round. I'm like, I'm really working on the way I respond underneath side control. I'm really working on the way I pass uh, to the left, whatever it is, you know? And then you'll have all these encounters and you'll have a very small game. So if I'm passing, let's say I'm passing guard, no gi with a right leg forward, right? Let's say that's what I'm doing and I'm on both feet. The amount of encounters you can have isn't that wide of just that game, right? It's like 10 things can happen and you can kind of figure out what those things are and then shrink them to where like two things happen. Like no matter who I'm going against, I get in there and like one of two things happen. And then once you figure that out and most of the time, like you're, you're in control of those things and you understand those things. All of a sudden, when you go against someone who doesn't understand like those two things, you're like, boom, I passed your guard, right? So yeah. now once you kind of get that, now you switch games again and just keep doing that. And then like 10 years later, you're good at grappling. You know, right. it just kind of works like that, you know? It makes so much sense. I mean, you, you mentioned Ryan Hall. I mean, I, I think even when he was a purple belt, he was, you know, doing world championships uh, you know, at the championships and uh, he'd go against, you know, be allowed to go against brown and black belts and, he win some, lose some, he said, but he said, uh, the ones I won, people ask me how you beat someone you know is better than you. He's like, how to beat someone you know better than you is going to an area of your game that you know all the ins and outs of. And I think, uh, like like you said, that micro uh, part of it, obviously not till you're like black belt level, you, you know, uh, more encompassing in that art or style, but that makes so much sense. And it's easier for people to focus on because it is, you know, being an instructor, like it is overwhelming. You see it from the other side for people starting out. They're like, they want to download the matrix like uh, yeah. <laughs> overnight, you know? Yeah. I, I, um, I think that it can be overwhelming if you try to create this like mind map where you're like, I do this, then X happens. I do this. and like, I think that's definitely not the way to do it. I think that you're trying to make every experience, um, like as consistent as possible. Have you seen that, that, that meme, of like uh using uh swiss army knives to demonstrate from white belt to black belt and they'll oh, be yeah. like they'll be like white belt it's like you know a toothpick and then black belt's got all these things sticking off of it right yeah i don't think that's accurate at all yeah. right i think i think it's like it's accurate probably up till purple belt but by the time you okay. should be black belt it should be like one fixed blade knife do you know what i mean like it's just like yeah. Uh, it, you're not doing this. You're not all over the place. It's like, I'm doing this and I'm going to solve my problem this way. And you yeah. can't do anything about it. Right. And so that's, exactly. uh, you, you, you make every situation appropriate for you. Um, and that's a much better strategy than trying to be like a master of all situations. 
you know? That makes so much sense. Some guys have different mentalities, whether it's jujitsu wrestling, judo, sambo. You can take this throw and go to the left with it, and then you can 50% your training over here. But all these world champions are like, no, man, like you just stick to the one side for the throw the logs. My 100% uh, is going to do good against that direction versus I'm 50% good here, 50% good here. Uh, I, it's these, these different analogies. I think it's for different people. I mean, what are your thoughts as far as training both sides and things like that? So the way I look at it is if you want to be really good at something, you have to understand everything and do very little. So that's the way that you should think about it, right? Like yeah. I need to understand all the possibilities that can happen, all the techniques that are out there and do like two of them, you know, like that's the way it works. Um, but to find out what those two are, you have to understand everything. So if I was to tell you, I want you to make like a perfect Lego sculpture of yourself, right? Like you're going to, you're going to make a perfect Lego sculpture of yourself. The more Legos I give you access to, the more you can make a specific tight, accurate representation, right? Okay. If I tell you like, if I tell you, no, you can only use these five Legos are the important ones. It's going to be jagged and weird and like not really you, right? Yeah. So the instructor part, what's difficult is I will be in the habit of being like, hey guys, I do like four things. These are the four things you got to do. Everything else is useless, right? That's not really accurate because people's bodies are different, right? Their minds are right. different. So uh, the alternate way to do that wrong is to go, hey guys, here's a million things. It's all awesome. That's not useful either, right? So yeah. what an instructor has to do is expose you to lots of different things and then constantly encourage you to stop doing so many things. Yes. <laughs> that's basically, <laughs> that's what an instructor yeah. has to do. Like okay. help you figure out what it is you're supposed to be doing by exposing stuff to you, but then like make sure you don't get pulled all over the place. That's you know? a great point. You know, I, I always, uh, you know, all, all these guys we have come out for seminars and, you know, world champions and, uh, and you know, obviously my experience on it, it's like, yeah, we're not all the same. We have different personalities, different body types, different goals. Uh, we're, we may, let's say it's jujitsu. We may be all learning the curriculum, but you're going to have things that's going to be your own game. I feel, always feel like as an instructor, the best thing is to help them, uh, create their own game. And, and I guess a good way to word it's like take responsibility, uh, for, for their own game and technique and, and build that side of it. Cause yeah, let's expose them to everything possible. But some things are just going to resonate with you a lot more than others. You, this go-to throw that I love may not be your jam. Yeah, and as long as you have the appropriate tools, like as long as you have a throw, right? Like it's yeah. like, you, 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 yeah, it doesn't have to be the same throw, but it's like you got to have a way of scoring on somebody, and you have to be a way of scoring on someone moving forward and moving backwards. If you're to score on somebody with your left lead or your right lead. But they're not going to be yeah. the same throws, right? So, right. Um, yeah. So it's like you're building a, you know, you're you're building like a, a deck of magic cards, right? Play Magic the Gather. Yeah. You're building your deck. You're picking what your um, what your uh, uh, win conditions are and what your contingency plans are, and just make sure you've got those bases covered within reason. I remember helping yeah. a guy. I was coaching somebody who wasn't a student of mine, and he was a student of someone else, and and I was at Asambo nationals and his coach wasn't there, but he knew who I was. And he said, Hey, can you, can you help me out for a second? And I said, yeah, I'll corner you. And he got stuck in this rut where he kept trying to do, um, like a shoulder throw. Mm -hmm. Right. 
and he couldn't score it. And then I said, I'm like, hey, change throws. And then he tried doing like, like a fireman's carry. And afterwards, I'm like, the problem is both your throws are backward throws. So these that doesn't help, right? Like, oh, if I, do you know yes. what I mean? It's like if, if your alternate throw goes the exact same direction, requires the exact same pressures and yeah. the exact same grips, it doesn't, it's not, it's, yeah, it's, there's no point, right? So yeah. if the problem is, is that you can't score when someone's pushed, if that guy's not pushing at you, the grip you have can't score in that direction, your secondary throw uh, can't just be the same thing with a different head position. You're right. Right? Yeah, yeah it makes no sense. So, so I, I'm, a, I'm a fireman's carry guy. I'm not a shorter throw guy. And you could be a shorter throw guy, not a fireman's carry guy. It doesn't matter. They both accomplish throws in that direction. Right? Right. You have to have a way of scoring in that direction as well. Right? Is that right. going to be a double leg or a snatch single or an outside trip or an inside trip? Whatever. You know, but like you have to have a way of scoring in both directions. And that's an example of like, yeah, there's lots of variance and in, in this personal strategy and personal technique, but you're going to have to have like some key things that fill spots. Right. Yeah, That makes so much sense. It's amazing too. And yeah, some, some there's so much uh, technique out there now you can go technique crazy. And then you just see guys just literally like 20 things in the head. It's almost like they're pretty much thinking so much. They like have this blank stare. And next thing you know, the other guy's gone and on to the next thing. Uh, but I think that that's such an important uh, takeaway right there. And you also had uh, a nice uh, side of things with uh, no Kirka. Uh, you know, and what's interesting, I remember when I first came upon on your, your videos and things like that, is uh, besides, I, I feel like it was like Dean Lister and in, in my encounters, you were like the leg lock guys, like, that's just before it like blew up with the Danaher death squad and all that stuff. And uh, the entrances way entrance ways and the Sambo, like the, the Russian leg knot. I mean, <laughs> this is like, they're not getting out. Right? <laughs> they're stuck. They're done. It's over. Um, not to mention you can go for a nice uh, leisurely stroll and just, enjoy <laughs> and just enjoy it. Uh, what is your take as far as being well-rounded, of course, with the no, no, uh, some people call it no gi, uh, submission wrestling or no kirka. What was your take on transferring that over? Um, I, it's just about rule sets. Like, I think that the explosion of leg lock popularity is directly tied to EBI rule set. So, like, if you, if you have a rule set that says there's no points for passing and no points for sweeping and all submissions are legal, then the bottom and top guy are going to do this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like that, the rules create the leg lock frenzy, right? For and so sure. the explosion of interest in leg locks has to do, they just change a couple of rules and all of a sudden it turns out you should heel hook each other in that rule set. That's the best way to do it, you know? Right. And then, and, and, and so then the explosion of interest comes with the rule set change. I remember teaching seminars. I was doing like Nagas and, and stuff like that early in my training because you could do a lot more leg locks than in jujitsu. And uh, there was only a couple of Sambo competitions so a year. So I do like Sambo competitions, which had a lot of legal leg locks and then like Nagas for the S for the rest of the year. Okay. And, um, and I was winning a lot of tournaments in the expert division after only like a year of training because they allowed these leg locks, but nobody was doing them. Now, nobody was doing them, I think, because the rules still didn't allow you to do them without getting scored on. So what I mean by that is, is like, if I, 
um, fallback for a leg lock in Naga at the time, I'm still giving up the two, right? Yeah. Which means that if I don't submit him, I've made a mistake, right? right. Now, I did. I, I went for it because there was a – the people going into Naga were coming from jiu-jitsu gyms, which meant that the majority of their competitions throughout the year were like IBGF competitions. Um, and so they weren't training leg locks all that much. And so I was winning a lot of competitions against guys who, quite frankly, were much better than me. But they didn't know this one thing, so I could win those competitions, right? Yeah. When you uh, add, when you remove the the points for flip flopping position, and you remove the the incentive to pass, and you allow the leg locks, then very quickly, it'll appear that the most efficient thing to do is to engage the legs, right? right. And so that renewment created a renewed explosion, and then I would say even maybe more important than EBI was things like fight to win where you can like be a blue belt and get on a poster. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. th those types of situations where like you can have that, that mini celebrity of mixed martial arts and you can walk down a catwalk and there'd be music yeah. playing and there's steam, but yeah. no one's going to punch you in the face. Right. Yeah. So like you get all the glamor of MMA without any of the injury, like people are going to be all about that, you know? For sure, so yeah. that, that brought the super fight to the, lower levels, heel hooks were legal, and that created like more of a spread, you know? And I think yeah. that games determine behavior more than anything else. Yeah. And someone will tell you why it is you do what you do, but most of the time it's because the game tells you to. And I think that's why the explosion happens at the time that it happened, you know? Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, that's so wild. And yeah. I mean, I think they even allowed slams in uh, in fight to win as well. At least the ones I've seen, uh, like much like the headbutts and comments. So people like first guy realizes, oh, I, I'm allowed to slam. Say, like, oh, okay, <laughs> just go into that. Yeah, and that will disincentivize using a closed guard type yes. guard, right? Like, yeah. so now you're even more likely to disconnect and latch onto some sort of leg entanglement to stop the slam. Like, the the rules will dictate behavior like pretty directly if you if you have a big enough pool of people you'll see things change pretty fast you know amazing uh it, it just to kind of go like a little uh background on you so you're you're originally from uh new orleans right louisiana no i was actually born and raised in fort worth texas oh fort worth texas okay and, and, and i moved i moved to new york for eight years um i lived in new york city for eight years that's where i started doing sambo and then i moved to texas after that and taught at guy mesgers for a year and change and then after working at Guys, I moved to New Orleans and lived there for four years and taught at NOLA BJJ and, um, and uh, New State Fitness. And then I moved to the Bay Area uh, like three or four years ago. Got you. Got you. Um, yeah, I was going to say, just kind of origin story-wise, like, uh, so you started training Sambo in New York, right? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and like I said, obviously New York's going to, just much like downtown, we're in Illinois, so Chicago, like everything's in that more – big city area. And so how did you even, you, you said you to get into somebody like some a little more abstract uh, outside of like, you know, something a little more straightforward, I suppose uh, that that's popular like karate or Taekwondo or whatever is going on. I was, I was in a karate school. I was actually a, like a junior karate instructor. I was in college. It was like a oh, Brown okay. belt mission root karate. And I was teaching like kids karate. And then I went to this big, um, kind of karate Shi'i thing or a lot of different gyms came together to like show stuff. Yeah. And somebody demonstrated something from Sambo. I don't remember what they demonstrated, but it was, you know, like many things from Sambo kind of like 
very demo worthy. You know what I mean? Like the rolling leg locks and the flying arm bars are very like, what am I looking at? You know? So someone demonstrated and I was like, what is that after he's demo? I was like, Oh, I learned that from a Sambo coach. And I'm like, what the hell is Sambo? And then he's like, I don't know. Google it. Um, so (laughs) I probably wasn't Google at the time. It was probably something else, but so I, I looked it up and then I found a gym, uh, New York combat Sambo, um, run by Steve Kepfer. Um, oh, I found a gym in New York city and I called him and I, I all, right away I was attracted to the fact there was no rank. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. Um, I, I thought rank was kind of silly. I still think rank is kind of silly. Um, it's just too subjective and varied. Um, there's no rank and, um, they were grappling and striking at the same time. It was mixed. And th- when I went to train there, it was clearly very non-dogmatic. The answer of this is how it's traditionally done was never the answer I was given. You know, where with like traditional karate, it's often the answer you're given. You know, yeah. so. And I'm not super against the idea of doing something for the sake of tradition. The problem is when the tradition traditional karate means like, in the United States since the 1970s. It's like what they mean by traditional, you know, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very dubiously traditional, you know, yeah. like, so like, I'm not sure it's actually an archive for ancient Okinawan practice, even though people say that it is. Um, and there's a lot of chicanery going around in the community and it was too hard to keep track of. What is easy to keep track of is what works in a fight. It's pretty straightforward, especially of yeah. competition. So with Combat Sambo, the New York Combat Sambo, we were putting on headgear. First time I ever wore like real headgear. You know, I was like, whoa. Yeah. MMA gloves, shin pads. And we were grappling and striking at the same time. And I'm like, oh, like this is no, this is no longer the world of theory. You know, like we're out of the world of theory and we're in the world of like this is how it actually is. And I think a lot of people don't want it to be like that. But I was like really excited for it to be like that. You know, like I, I really okay. wanted it to be real, you know. I love that. And yeah. um that that was my first foray into sambo, and I love the aspect too. And that's a, another appealing thing about sambo and certain points of wrestling. Uh, it, it is you know the belt systems are. Uh, I, I could see where where there's marketability, of course, but I see where you know people kind of measure this and the other thing. But like sambo is more like, well, you know, what's your performance like? You know, it's more yeah. like you said, the ground in, in in reality with that. And there was something I don't know, just. A little more real about that and refreshing as as well. Uh, so I, I love the aspect too. And you also uh, starting this up our dojo, um, mm-hmm. and you that's been going strong. Uh, and what is that like for you? you? You know, I don't know, like sense of uh, fulfillment as a coach, uh, getting your guys just doing really well comp- in competitions and training them up. Um, I really. Again, I, I prefer coaching, yeah. and our dojo kind of became a tool for people that d- directly train with me or indirectly train with me or whatever to incorporate the stuff I learned from Sambo into their game, which is most likely to be a jiu-jitsu-based game, right? So if they have a jiu-jitsu-based game, I'm hoping that I can improve their takedowns and their dynamic movements and probably their leg locks, and that's kind of what our dojo was designed to do. And I, I started doing training camps in new orleans and those training camps it's actually a friend of mine colin murray a black belt who teaches in new orleans he was the one who suggested i start doing like multi-day camps and that changed everything well once i once i could be like okay 20 people come out and hang out with me for three days we'll do some grappling we'll go watch a movie we'll probably play some magic like you know just yeah. kind of hang out and train 
I started to build up a community of people that would come to these camps as much as possible. And then that kind of approach or the approach that I was showing could kind of spread out beyond me much more easily, you know? And so I, we have, you know, I have some people that are, I consider accredited our dojo instructors in like, 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 um, Javi, right. Uh, 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 Talon, uh, Morris, just, uh, it became one, um, just a couple of different guys. And those, um, those are guys that have judo or jitsu wrestling backgrounds incorporated a lot of the stuff that I showed and then are now kind of like doing their own thing and teaching with the method that I, that I think works. And that's kind of what our dojo is, has become. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And, and uh, the other side of things, I, I thought it was fascinating. Um, you know, uh, as far as far as speaking of like getting into John Wick stuff, you got uh, yes, uh, you got the fast shooter going here, man. Uh, and and starting off, you're even wearing some of the gear here uh, with guidance uh, steel target shooting. You yeah. know, how what initially got you going into this uh, uh, side of things? And you know, obviously the competitions and things like that. what what is even that like. Um, similar, I like wanted to have a broad skill set of things that I think that are cool. I think snake eyes is cool. He oh, yeah. grapples and strikes and he also, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I wanted to learn how to shoot, but I also like teaching. And so I wanted to get good enough that I could teach. And, um, I got kind of into it and just started competing right away because to me, again, I like to use competing as a benchmark. And um, I started competing right away. I also have learned through grappling and martial arts, like how to kind of avoid nonsense and BS in like, the community okay. and the and the lessons, and so I was able to, I think, get better faster after coming from martial arts because I can kind of smell something when it sounds wrong. Yeah, do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, fake experts are easy to sniff yeah, out for me now. Fake exactly. Expert, yeah. And most of shooting instruction is super McDojo. You know, yeah. it's guys that pay a couple thousand dollars, train for a weekend, and get a patch, and now they run a school. You know, <laughs> shoot their foot. I, yeah. I wanted to avoid that. So what I did was like the very first competition I ever did, um, after I did the competition, it was like a hundred people and I got like 40th or something like really low. And, um, the first thing I did was I went to the scoreboard and I looked at the guy who got first and I straight up just Facebook stalked him and emailed him. I was like, that guy's the best. That's and, and, uh, yeah. And, um, his name is Logan Fowler. He's, you can look him up. He's a really good shooter. And um, he uh, runs a, a, a gunsmithing company called Fowler Industries. And so I just looked him up and I was like, hey, man, I saw you shooting on this GSSF tournament. Like, I want to shoot good. Help me out. And he was like, okay. And he just, you know, I'd start to do private lessons with him. And then after doing a couple private lessons, he was, he kind of, I guess, reverse Googled me. And he oh. was like, he was like, oh, you do some stuff. Like, can we just trade private lessons? Oh, no and way. so we just. I would go out to his, his ranch and we would just trade private lessons. And that's got, he was my first shooting instructor, you know? And then after that, I would go to competitions. So I went down to, um, to, uh, Piru to do steel challenge competitions in like Southern California. Mm -hmm. And same thing. I'd observe who the best shooters were. And I would just like slide up next to them, be like, 
what can you show me? You know? And so I just kind of went to the best shooters around me and observed and listened. And that was the main thing. And then just took it seriously, worked at it and yeah. spent a lot of money on ammo, you know, and <laughs> that's half the, half that's the a big thing. I, I remember, I remember back to Ryan Hall, Ryan Hall is a pretty good shooter and we were shooting on his property. And, um, and I asked him at the time he was a, he was a much better shooter than me. It was like years ago. And he, um, I asked him like, you know, how, how long until you're really good at this? And his answer was $20,000 was his answer. Cause he was measuring dollars. Yeah. He was measuring the cost of ammo. Like that's, that was, and I love, it was a great answer. It's like, unlike grappling, you can't practice for free really, you know? So like the, there's just the expense of like, you know, especially right now, right, right now, every time you pull the trigger, it's like 60 cents. Right. So it's super tough. But, um, luckily I, because I had a goal of teaching it, um, yeah. my wife was very understanding that it was a, basically a business expense. You know, I'm basically going to yeah. pay for a degree in shooting. And so I just shot a lot and competed yeah. a lot. And uh, I made a class in carry optics. Carry optics is uh, semi-automatic with a, like a red dot on the slide. Oh, that's okay. what carry optics okay. is. Cause every gun variation is a different competitive division. So it's sort of like, um, like race cars, like different race cars don't race against each other. That right. Means, okay. So the carry optics division doesn't compete against the production division or the revolver division or the rimfire rifle division. They're all different. Gotcha. So, um, I made a class in carry optics and, um, I was pretty proud of that and I'm still working on trying to get to that master class, which is the next one up, which just sounds rad. So, um, that's, that's, that's the one I'm working on. I'm actually, because I'm so obtuse, I'm actually working right now on trying to make a class in revolver optic, which is a revolver with a red dot on it, yeah. which is super, super weird. Yeah. Um, but I, I like that it's weird. So I'm right. That's what I'm working on in 2021 is trying to class up in revolver optic. Nice man. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and you know, like I said, you know, you know, through your career uh, of martial, I mean, yeah, obviously it's a passion. I guess it's kind of weird to say career, but it is your career. Uh, com competition, sambo, jujitsu, uh, combat sambo we talked about, uh, you know, class A working on that master uh, for, for the pistol. Like uh, what, as far as future goals uh, of, of yours, I mean, you just mentioned uh, uh, going out to the revolver. Uh, overall, you have any future goals that you, um, uh, you like to talk about? Um, so I just purchased a bunch of property near Yosemite and oh. I, I'm, I'm in the process of creating like an actual sort of like campground where people can come out and do grappling lessons and shooting lessons like all over a week. Wow. Right. So you come out, you camp on the property, there's like beautiful hikes and stuff. And then we'll spend like, there'll be a gym there and you'll do a couple of hours grappling, have lunch, go out, do some shooting, have lunch, like next day. And because it's near Yosemite, you can do like day trips to the lake or whatever. So my plan is to try to create like a really cool, like vacation thing where you can come, but you can go there with like a little bit of experience and come back like John wick. Like that's, that's kind go. of the goal. So that's what I'm working on. COVID's obviously slowing that yeah. down. Yeah. Quite a um, bit. But post COVID, my goal is to be able to come out like 10 guys at a time and have a really amazing experience learning how to grapple better and and shoot um i've done a couple of these i did like three of these i called them double tap camps because that's cute 
Um, yeah. I did a couple of these yeah. already. And um, where and where I was doing some lessons here at Bay Jiu Jitsu and then going to Richmond Rod and Gun Club and doing some shooting lessons there. And those were a lot of fun. And so I'm hoping to kind of expand that to my own property and make it a little bit more exciting because on my own property, we can do more. We can we can drive mini bikes around and do stuff, you know? Yeah, oh, it sounds like a blast, man. When it when that happens, let me know, man. I, number one, <laughs> I want to go and uh, I'll let everybody right. know about it um, on my end as well. Um, you know, that... That, that's pretty, I want to pop this up, everybody. Uh, you guys check out uh, rdojo.com. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel, uh, Instagram, Facebook. You can check out invertedgear.com. Inverted Gear is just about to drop some rdojo-specific uh, uh, rash guards and shorts um, that are they, they, they're like red and black. So they look cool, but also if you're having a black belt, you can use them in competition. They've got red and black. Um, oh, cool. So in, invert, I think Inverted Gear is doing pre-orders for those right now. So I would check that out. Um, I teach at Bay Jiu-Jitsu, baijiu.com. And if you happen to be in the Bay Area and would like to shoot guns like John Wick, you can go to uh, guidancesteel.com is for where I teach that. But I think there's probably a link to that off ardojo.com. I think there's probably a link that says firearms sure. instruction you can jump to for that. But yeah. Sure. Man, sure. Riley, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show, man. It was an absolute blast off with you. And I mean, I've been following your work uh, and what you've been doing for a long time. I I know quite a few guys that you've uh, trained and trained with, and uh, just absolute pleasure talking with you, man. Thank you so much. Hey!